is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello everybody and welcome to what might be the final episode of the Rams Review Podcast for this season uh, with myself and Corey. Corey, how are we doing? Jason, I'm good. I thought you were going to say last podcast ever. Because we don't know it's going to happen after the period exclusivity finishes, but yeah, sure. Let's be positive here. Let's go for the season. Yeah. It's great to be with you again, buddy. Of course. Uh, we don't know, do we? Let's face it. But I would, I would presume there might be one or two more in, in a couple of weeks time, but we'll see. And of course it is the season review and wow. I mean, we could, we could record a week of this, but we're not going to, we're going to try and cram it into about 30, 40 minutes, the best that we can. And I mean, who else could we have on to to end proceedings for the for the season? Other than obviously, he, re- he helped he helped finish last season's. Pod- yeah, he did. So it's kind of like a returning returning regular thing here. Returning one, and yeah, Chris Coles from, of course, BBC Radio Derby. Um, still at the moment, Chris, how are we doing? Ah, so the, yes, at the moment, Jason Corey, great, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be back with you. It feels it feels several seasons ago the the end of season review for last season. I must admit this campaign feels like it's dragged on for several years, but um, but yeah, it's great to be back with you, Chris. How many more gray hairs do you have this year? As a- <laughs> I have, I have quite a few, considerably more, considerably <laughs> more. Yeah, and uh, and the fact that I'm sort of I've grown my hair recently isn't great because it just means that there's there's more of it to turn gray, uh, and it, it, it's not. It, it's taken every chance to turn grey as well. I'm, I'm not sure that's entirely all Derby's fault, but it probably has played a part. I, I, I can vouch for that as well, to be honest. <laughs> With so, yeah, Jason, Chris, I, I want to. Chris, you said you know this it could be the potential of the season review one, and I know the season's now finished, the football's now finished, and I know you want to go on holiday and enjoy hmm. the summer. But again, this is Derby County, so I have to go yeah. with kind of the latest news. It's probably not going to be your, you know, you're probably going to have plenty more broadcasts before you, you leave DBC Labor Derby, which I want to get to in a minute because I'm going to miss you first and foremost. Um, <laughs> I'll just throw that out there because it's going to be a little notional. But the whole period of exclusivity, Chris, got extended. We read that yesterday through Rob Dorsett and, and John Percy and everything like that. Chris Kirshner's got another four days to kind of seal this deal here. The stadium is the sticking point. I know your colleague yet is tried to talk to Mel Morris, I believe, at some point. I don't want to divulge anything that can't be divulged or anything like that, unless you want to, which by all means, please do on here. Mm-hmm. Um, extending the period of exclusivity is both good and bad because obviously he wants to do the deal, but it doesn't look like Morris is budging on the stadium situation. How do you see this ending, Chris? And, and what happens then in four days' time when the period of exclusivity finishes? Well, yes, the <laughs> I think we'd all hoped at this point everything would have been sorted by now. The end of the season was always set as the deadline, the real deadline. We know there have been plenty of arbitrary deadlines set by the EFL and by Quantuma to, to try and, and get a deal done. And we understand why. 
And, and we understand that these things often don't always work out that way. The, the Chelsea takeover is a case in point. The deadline's set. And then a few days later, Jim Radcliffe comes in and, and tries to, to usurp the deal. So we know that deadlines don't always mean a great deal. But the end of the season, because it was known, as Quantuma themselves said, that's when the money runs out. Understandably, there's no more opportunity for the club to to get season uh, to get ticket sales and revenue and things like that. That's that's a major part of of, of Quantuma's ability to raise money was the, the the ticket sales generated. And credit to Derby fans, they turned up to Pride Park in such numbers to help that. And it was always thought that yeah, the end of the season had to be the deadline because the money runs out. Now we hear of a couple of things that Quantuma have done to try and alleviate that. Cade Gordon's sell-on clause between Liverpool and Derby or Derby to Liverpool has been has been nullified in, in receipt of £500,000, which again, not ideal because that could be worth a hell of a lot down the line, but needs must so that there's at least a little bit of breathing space there. But you're right, where does this really end? Because if the deadline keeps getting extended and Quantuma keep trying to find money through means of selling players or or releasing players from the or players leaving because their contract's up, then the deadline just keeps going further down the line. So yeah, good and bad, the period of exclusivity has been extended. Good because it feels like we're close. Chris Kirchner and the EFL and Consumer probably know that the deal is close. Bad because, as you say, well, what's going to change? There has to be a stumbling block somewhere. And it is the stadium. And we assume it's because Mel Morris wants £20 million to pay off MSD and he's not going to get that from Chris Kirchner. So where is the middle ground going to be? And we don't know. We know the city council are keen to get involved, but that's a difficult one. Politically, it's dangerous. And there's I mean, so for much... For me, using taxpayer there. money to buy a stadium, there's a lot of things you could do with 20 million, Chris, in, in the, the city of Derby. And in this day and age where we know that, that there is a, a real cost of living crisis and energy bills going up and all the rest of it, to spend 20 million pounds on a football stadium, granted, there are lots of constituents that would love that to happen, but it, it, it's... It's a dangerous play and it takes time. This is not something the council can just do overnight. There was also talk of a local businessman rounding up investors to buy the stadium from Mel Morris to facilitate this Chris Kirchner deal. How true that is and who that person is, I don't know. All of this is being played out with Mike Ashley in the background. And it was suggested by by lots of people, to be honest, way back when, that this just all has a feeling of it ending with Mike Ashley coming in right at the end to offer a deal for the stadium and for a deal that Quantum are happy with and all the rest of it. Would anyone be completely surprised if that happens? I don't think they would. Will that happen? I don't know. I, I, I genuinely sit here in front of you at time of press because we know this can change very quickly and I don't know how this is ended or how this ends. Only that I'm confident that this will be ended satisfactorily. There's just no way I can see Mel Morris not agreeing to something. Otherwise, what's the point? He's left with the stadium that's costing him money. He's got 20 million pound loan to pay back and he's got no football team to play in it. Doesn't help anyone. So hopefully this is the week and, and heads will be banged together and we'll get to that point of consumer saying, listen, guys, this is it. You, you cannot continue this way because the club is going to run out of money and then a resolution is found. I think it certainly is a positive that we have Chris Kirchner there and also Mike Ashley swirling. The fact that there are two people that are keen to take on the club is a good thing at this very late stage in the game. Chris, we made our we we came and spoke to you for the first time on on BBC Radio Derby when the Benzayad group had first named mm-hmm. hey we're we're gonna buy this and that was October of what 20, 2020? it seems like a long twenty yeah twenty twenty that seems like a long time ago now yeah eighteen months or so I mean you must be absolutely fed up and sick and tired of every time you go on sports scene and and you talk about this stuff the administrators the preferred bidder. 24 to 48 hours, imminently, immediately, whatever other synonyms they can fly out of the thesaurus. Hmm. 
you know, are being used. And I know we talked to Elias Burke a while ago from the athletic and he said that it was frustrating for, for him and, and all the, and, and for you guys as well, that you can't get a straight answer out of some of these things, you know, out of you ask them for, well, whatever. And then they tell you something and they do something else. And I mean, it must be incredibly frustrating and you must be absolutely sick to death of, of talking about administration off the field matters, previous owners, preferred bidders and 24 to 48 hour time frames, Right. I mean, you have to be fed up of it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting one because I think that you, you probably answer that in, in two ways, one with a work head on and one with a personal head on. And from a work perspective, you could argue that it, it, it's been very interesting for us to try and get our teeth stuck into a story like this. Yes, it's, of course, it's been frustrating because we we haven't got the information that we'd want or we haven't been able to break news that is particularly palatable. And that has taken its toll that so many phone-ins that we've done or talkings or programs. And it, it, it's me basically saying, guys, this is not great news or we don't have the news that you want, or we don't have any news to bring you. That has been difficult because I know that at times we have for many, I think being the, the, the voice of reason, or at least a voice that people can trust in a world and a time when there is so much rumor and counter rumor swirling around. So from a work side of it, you could argue it's been quite, refreshing to get stuck into a different story but i think that excitement of, of of bzi in particular just expired very quickly because we knew that okay well something's not right here then eric alonso turned up and even by that point we're thinking the whole saga feels just off something's not right here if eric alonso and we know the club were in financial trouble prior to that but if eric alonso is the person that they've hung their hat on, then I think we're in a bit of trouble here. And when that quickly goes away, then the bombshell of administration. Yeah, it's been unrelenting. It's absolutely been unrelenting. And from my personal perspective, yeah, I absolutely have come home from a broadcast and just not wanted to, to see anyone or speak to anyone to sit in the dark room and just not try and think about Derby. But then I think if I'm thinking that, what about the poor people that work for the club? What about the poor people that are at Moore Farm and are at Pride Park? And what about the poor fans? And the club means an awful lot to me, but I know full well that I'm not on it anywhere near the same level of, of the fans that have been there through thick and thin, have been there all their lives. And I can only imagine how torturous it is for those guys. So we've always tried to, to, to be upbeat and positive about it, not shy away from the fact that it's been very difficult, but provide a bit of context and, and, and to be that voice of reason. And at times for the phoning to be a little bit of a sponge to absorb some anger. That's fine. We, we, we were happy to be shouted at because it was, if you, if you want to release your anger through us, no problem with that. Yes, it's tough, but we get it. We absolutely get it. So it'll be, I'll look back at this period with, with absolute mixed emotions. It, clearly, if Derby get through this and survive and, and start next season with a, with a competitive squad and Wayne Rooney in charge, then I think we look back and go, wow, that was a period we'll never forget and it was a big learning curve. And actually, from a work perspective, it was quite nice to be involved in that. Personally, yeah, you hope that it calms down now and, and you get to talk about more sporting issues than the news issues, because undoubtedly it has it has taken its toll on on absolutely everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to stick on the takeover just for, for the whole for the whole chat, but I think just to bring my points in, <clears throat> a couple of things you mentioned there, Chris, you know, we've had various other interested parties that have, have come to the forefront and okay they all those deals kind of fell pretty quickly dead into the water what what my my concern and my I can't really get my head around I suppose in the best way of describing it is that they were clearly conversations between Binzayad group Eric Alonso I mean we we probably still now to this day don't know the whole makeup of those 
of those talks and, and those bid, uh, and bids or whatever you may well talk say. But here's a guy in Chris Kirchner, and I think you're right, Mike Ashley is is peeping around the curtain. That there is there is mm-hmm. another twist with that. But we'll go with Chris Kirchner because of obviously he's, he's the one in the forefront at the moment. I don't see how you can have those dealings with other parties who we've had in the past. And then when you, from everything that I've seen, you've got a legitimate person who's come out all over Twitter, as we all know, and has been very vocal in what he wants to do, how he wants to go about it. And then the one person who seemed to have had some dodgy dealings, if I'm going to put it as lightly as that, strange dealings, strange whatever going on with takeovers, now won't th- this final stumbling block we believe to be the stadium he's now it seems as if that he's not too keen on budging do you find that just a little bit a little bit strange and i suppose a little bit patronizing towards the fans in at the end of the day where it's like you know things have come out of come out from the woodwork over the last 18 months and we've all got an opinion and that, mm. that's not to be shared here and then when you've literally got somebody who by the looks of it is more than happy to roll into pride park and take the keys tomorrow and now all of a sudden the, you know, he's dug his heels in a little bit. Do you, do you find that a little bit strange? I think my overriding emotion with that, Jason, is I will never be able to really fathom how business people work in that regard, because I know that they're probably wired slightly differently to, to many, certainly to me. It's probably why I'm not very rich, to be honest, but they are business people at the end of the day. And I'd, I'd know that it, it's difficult to stomach and football clubs are so unique in that regard. And you, you don't have to just throw in the business side of football. You know, when a player leaves a club and often the, well, there's no loyalty there. Well, there isn't for these people because they don't, they don't have the club in the same regard as the fans do. So as far as the fans are concerned, playing for your football club is probably the biggest honor bestowed on anyone so you, you you imagine that that's the same for everyone. So when a player comes and plays and then leaves, maybe, and 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 perhaps that's why Gary Rowett, I think, was was the target for a lot of fans' ire because they felt that he just jumped to the first opportunity. But he'd argue that, well, you know, I, I'm ambitious and this was an opportunity and all the rest of it. Whereas if it's your club, you feel a bit besmirched at that. Now, for Mel Morris, I don't know. I don't. I don't know Mel Morris particularly well. I, I don't. But I know that for him, I'm sure he's looking at a business deal and he's taking any sentiment out of it. I know that's so difficult for fans to stomach because I know the fans' opinion will be, well, hang on, Mel, you got us into this financial um, hellhole. Now get us out of it by at least just gifting us the stadium. But that's 20 million quid. Show me anyone who's, who's willing to say, yeah, we're going to be right off 20 million pounds. It just doesn't happen. In the real world, it just doesn't happen. I completely understand the, the, the fury and the, and the fury. Of course I do. Absolutely. But from a business perspective, I can absolutely understand why he's doing this as well. Only he knows the answer to all these questions. And I don't know. I don't know what the stumbling block is. I don't know how close they are in terms of money. I don't know. I don't know the deal. We just know that it's, it, it is the stumbling block and we'll see what happens. And following on from the, the period of exclusivity, yes, perhaps it doesn't help that there is two or are two interested parties because now suddenly you have maybe Mel Moore and maybe Mike Ashley and maybe Chris Kirchner. So if you are selling something and you've got two people that are interested in it, you wait for the best deal, don't you? So I'm not sure how Quantum are going to deal with that, how Chris Kirchner, how Mike Ashley are going to deal with that. Only that clearly it's going to have to be dealt with relatively soon before the money runs out. And none of this helps the fans. None of this helps Wayne Rooney, who's trying to build a squad. And that I think is the the biggest frustration of all of this is we're, we're still 
waiting for this to be sorted at such a crucial juncture in in preparations for next season. And Chris, you touched on it right there, um, led me right into my next point. And I want to go through the season a little bit chronologically as well. But, you know, Rooney's got to start putting paper in front of these players for contracts because, I mean, let's say the club does survive. We've got five players under contract for next season. Obviously, you can play five aside, uh, and mm. but they don't want to come up against you with your Tony Yaboa <laughs> impression uh, that we talked about last season. So obviously, we don't want to play Chris Coles on a five aside league. But I mean, you can <laughs> league football with five players. He's got to put some paper in front yep. of players to get contracts because, like you said, you'd like to think that these young players, Malcolm Ebowawi or Curtis Davis or whatever, want to stay with the club. And I'm sure that they do because, again, I don't know them as well as you know them, Chris, because you've spoke to them, but. I can either go for a guarantee contract with X amount of money that I know I'm going to get for X amount of years, or I can sit and play for Derby, which may or may not come. And they might miss the boat. Let's say somebody else, Hall or Luton or whatever was offering me a contract. They might move on, go get a secondary target and that's gone. And then I'm left kind of like an Andre wisdom out of football for an entire year. And that can have larger impacts where you can miss a season or, you don't pick up or you're not fit and things like that. So, I mean, it's obviously got to get done not only for the future of this football club, but to be remotely competitive for next season, because we have to not only keep the lights on, you have to have mm. to play, don't you? Yeah. I couldn't have said it much better myself, Corey. You've, you've, you've approached and broached all the, all the points and all the problems that Wayne Rooney is going to have. You're absolutely right. I think all the players, I say all the players, I, I still don't know about Christian Bielik. Still not sure about Tom Lawrence. I, I know that, and both have, for instance, Tom has been excellent this season and he's settled. You can see that he's settled. So I wonder if now he's thinking, well, what am I chasing here? Late 20s, do I chase the big move again? Or do I sit back and think, actually, I'm enjoying my football now? And that, I think we're easy. We often forget that football is a human, that, that they feel the same emotions that we do. I know we put them on pedestals because of the money they earn and the lifestyles they have, but they, they still experience the range of emotions that, that we do. So I can understand why he's thinking, I, actually, I do quite fancy staying here. The manner of his departure, though, on Saturday against Cardiff, I, I, I did wonder because it was a very, it did seem to be a farewell to me. As far as some of the others are concerned, Christian Bielik is a, as a, as a World Cup to think about. And Wayne Rooney made the point, and he's absolutely right, that Christian's been through an awful lot over the last two or three years, two serious injuries. So what he needs now is to be settled and to have a period of calm where he's playing football and that's it. So I do understand why Rooney's confident of keeping him because he says we can offer him that. We can absolutely offer him first-team football. He's going to play with us week in, week out. And that's what he needs to get in the Poland squad, or at least to remain in the Poland squad. But they're on big money, Lawrence in particular. So they're going to have to agree a, a considerable haircut on Tom's deal if they are to, to, to meet in the middle. Would he want to stay? Half of me thinks he probably would. Some of the other players, listen, they've all said it. And, and I know the players often do this, but I do believe them. The camaraderie and the spirit that Wayne Rooney has built at that place, we see it every time we're there at Moor Farm. We see it every time we're at Pride Park. It is a football club that you want to play for. And Wayne Rooney is a manager that you want to play for. So I can understand why players are quite keen on, on staying. But you're absolutely right. There has to be a point where they say, yeah, but if I dally, I'm going to miss the boat. And football is, is not immune to clubs closing the doors. We've seen it. Wisdom's a prime example. I don't think he'd ever anticipate being so long out of the game. Tom Huddleston said the same when he left Derby. It took him a long time to get in at Hull. He was out Very for a year, late. I think, wasn't he? 18 Absolutely. months a year. 
yep, barely played, and now he's he's going to be a free agent again. So I think players are acutely aware that if a deal comes along, they might have to take it. Otherwise, they risk not playing football at all. And for someone like Curtis Davis, 37, he's not got long left. He's only got, you know, he probably can go on another season, maybe another two. Not massive amount, though. We all know because he's 37. So that's a concern. And that's and every time we say this to Wayne Rooney, he he basically nods his head, smiles wryly and says, yep, absolutely. What do you want me to do about it? This is all the points I'm making to the hierarchy are exactly this. And until it's sorted, he's he's going to be very, very limited. And that is the worry, clearly, that, well, two things. One, that most of the squad disappear and Rooney's left with barely any squad. Or two, that Rooney himself goes, I'm sorry, I can't do, I, I cannot do this anymore. And and he, he departs. I think we're a long way from that currently, which is why the next few days and, and weeks clearly are vitally important. No, I, I would, I would fully agree. Come on, let's make it a bit more light hearted. That was a, that was mm. a strong start to the podcast. I was going to say go towards positives, but yeah, <laughs> I think Chris, I'm sure you would agree as you've been there for through a fair bit of it. Um, there has been positives this year, right? I want to, I want to cast the mind back to, uh, I want to say it was the 6th of August, the day before the season kicks off against Huddersfield. Derby County have got about nine contracted players. Uh, we've got about, we've got seven or eight on, on you know, obviously on, uh, on trial waiting mm. for all these, all these um, sanctions that we were still under with the, uh, with the EFL waiting to clear. And then eventually they do obviously as a, as a broadcast team and as covering from, from the squad, you're you are you're in and around more farm, you're in and around the feeling, and then obviously those names flushed through and, and they rushed through those deals and that first game against Huddersfield at home that Derby were able to put out a side. And I think it's fair to say, not only a side, but a, com- a competitive 11 is the way that I'll put it. Mm. I, I think the depth of it, and I think th- obviously throughout the whole season, the depth of it hasn't been hasn't been there. And that's why I think if things do go the way that we all hope that if Wayne is given a few weeks to wheel and deal, he will be able to bring in players to, to make Derby competitive in, in league one. I don't, I don't think there's an issue with that, but you know, you, if you can, if you can remember Chris, because as we say, it's, it feels a long, long time ago, <clears> those, those feelings, you know, we were, we'd not even heard of the administration at this point. Derby no. were battling the uh, financial fair play uh, deductions. Um, but within obviously within the first couple of games, that start of the season, Derby had got themselves back to back to positive points out of negative points. And I remember that Huddersfield game uh, quite well, actually. I remember looking at it and obviously we didn't know where Huddersfield were, were going to be after 46 games. And let's face it, they weren't a million miles off from, from promotion and obviously fighting in the playoffs this weekend. Mm-hmm. As a curtain raiser, I remember it being a little bit hit and miss, but as, as curtain raisers can be. And then as we, as we move through that 46 game season, the, the start that Derby had, I mean, it, we knew what the task was for Derby County pretty early on. Even with the nine-point deduction, I think was going to, obviously, we know was was always going to be difficult before we even touch on administration. Um, I haven't actually looked at the final league points. I don't know if with, with the added nine, we'd have, we'd have been saved for or not. I think we would. Mm. But even even at the start, we knew this was going to be an uphill, uphill task. Boy, did we not realise how much of an uphill task it was going to be, what, six six to eight weeks later. But just can you remember from the beginning of the season what the you know what the feeling was round? It, it was it was managed that they dragged in the players, they'd they'd managed to get an eleven out, and it was always going to be a 
it was always a backs to the wall season, wasn't it? Before we even knew mm. how, how much worse it was going to get. Yeah, I, I do remember the feeling prior to the first game because there was unquestionably a feeling of worry about what the season might bring for, for two reasons. One, because of how last season ended and it had been such a calamity for Derby who were lucky, let's be honest, not to go down because the form suggested that they should. They, they, they didn't win, a, what was it, one win in the last 10, 15 games. They, they just about got over the line at home to Sheffield Wednesday. And then instead of really what felt at the time improving the squads, they were left with the bare bones and they had lots of kids to try and throw in. So because of how last season ended, I think there was trepidation going into the new season, given how the previous campaign had ended. And also because Wayne Rooney, as you say, lots of trialists were featuring in pre-season. So we did have the likes of, of Sam Baldock for a while, um, of Tom Carroll, of, of Sonia Luco. There was talk of Jack Wilshire coming. You had obviously Ravel Morrison, Richard Stearman, and you had players like this playing in pre-season. And then the final pre-season game, you might remember, was at Notts County. And Wayne Rooney basically played the kids because he said, because I can't sign anyone at the moment, this is the team that may well play against Huddersfield. And I remember there was outcry. There was, oh, come on, what, what are you doing, Derby? Sign all these trialists. Why can't you, why can't you put pen to paper, get the EFL on side and get it sorted? Because the team, you know, did it, it was young. It did include the, un, like the unheralded at the time, Erin Cashin and Liam Thompson and Louis Watson. And it, it was young. And I think we all thought, well, if this is the team that takes the Huddersfield, well, yeah, it could be a very, very long season. But I'll never forget the, the final pre-season press conference or the, the, the first proper press conference prior to Huddersfield. And we addressed this with Wayne Rooney and said, fans are worried. You, you can understand they're worried and that they're, they're concerned about the football team and the team you might play tomorrow. And Rooney said, no, 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 don't worry. We're fine. Not only do I expect a competitive team tomorrow against Huddersfield, I expect them to win. And we thought, well, he's always been bullish. He's always been confident. We know that from the previous season when he said at Christmas, there's no way Derby will go down. I mean, he was proven right, but it was a close run thing. And then I remember after the game, it finished 1-1. And I'm just looking at the team now. Roos was in goal. Byrne, Stearman, Davis for Scythe. Bird and Shinny, Yuzviak, Lawrence, Watson and Kazim Richards. Now, I think looking back that we know now, that's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good eleven, And most of them were there throughout the season. Shinny would still be there had he not been sold. Stearman was, was sort of jettisoned when Cashin came to the fore. That's actually a pretty solid eleven, And lots of those players had wonderful seasons. Byrne and Davis and Bird and Lawrence in particular. But I remember coming after that game, 1-1, and thinking, OK, they might be OK here because they looked a team. They looked a football team. They looked competitive. And the previous season, they just didn't look like a football team. Rooney was changing it every week. Whereas this time, they had patterns of play. They had a direct way of playing, or at least a, a proper way of playing, um, that Wayne Rooney preached. And they did fine. They could have won the game. And Huddersfield, well, they finished third, miraculously. So I came away from that game thinking, OK, fair play, Wayne. You've, you've, you've reassured us and it looks a competitive football team. And if you can add the likes of Ravel Morrison to it and Sam Baldock, then you may well have a chance of, of finishing in a respectable place. So my, my overriding emotion after that first game was, yeah, OK, yes, it's tough, but they're going to be fine, Derby. They'll give, they'll give teams a game based on what we've seen today. And then you, obviously, n- not, too, not too long to wait for the first away win of the season at all little did we know we'd be waiting a long long time for the for the next one uh, near on near on four months and I think one thing that certainly from my perspective as obviously 
obviously as a fan, and I, I know obviously on all the phone-ins and everything was the same, everybody kind of looked at it and went, yeah, Derby haven't, Derby haven't had a bad bad start to the season. As we say, got into positive points after the point after the FFP points deduction. I mean, obviously we still knew it was going to be difficult. And I think one thing that has been constant this season is the the desire, the fight. I know we've spoken about it. I know you've spoken about it, Chris. It's something that we will definitely say this season has, has been full of. And then, you know, there was that first five or six games. Um, okay, that bizarre 3-3 against Salford in the cup, which which obviously we managed <clears> to get through. And, you know, but points were getting on the board. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, but so, well, yeah, no, it was, it was out of nowhere. You kind of thought the points deductions would, not that the points deductions were done, but you, you, you kind of, obviously we were all speculating where the EFL were going to hit Derby next. Little did we know, was it going to be the owner, Mel Morris, that was going to give probably still to this point in time, the biggest gut punch that Derby have had so far this season in, in putting the club into administration. I mean, obviously <clears throat> we've talked about it until we're blue in the face, but, just, just if I'm sure you can, just remember when that news started filtering through, you know, to yourselves at BBC Radio Derby from from a journalistic point of view, and you know just what that feeling was, the way, how, how difficult is that in some respects? Obviously, you are there to broadcast the sports new, you know, the news. It's it's, um, and as you say, over a lot of things this season, there are fans who are on social media, they call up on the phone in and they want answers. And you're not the ones that necessarily have got the answers. All you've got is the piece of news that you've got <laughs> to put out as an, as an official comment or official statement or, or whatever. But just take us back to that dark, dark day in, what was it, up to beginning of October sort of time frame? Sep- I think. Yeah, I think September, September, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was, it was around, I think, September the something like 20th or 21st or something like that. Yeah, it, it. I suppose looking back, when you say things like it came out of the blue, you you look and think, did it really? The sign, the signs were there unquestionably, but I I was one of those that did believe that whatever happened, Mel Morris wouldn't put the club into administration. I, I did think that. Yes, you could argue with the decisions he made, and you could point the finger at some of the decisions taken, but I always thought, no, he he'll he'll not put this club into administration. Now, his reasons for doing it afterwards were it's going to be easy to, easier to sell. I mean, we're still waiting for the evidence of that, to be honest. But when it happened, it did come as a surprise. I remember Friday night, we'd done our six or seven hour and it would have, and it would have absolutely been full of Stoke the next day, no question. And Derby had been doing okay. I think that they were sitting around maybe 17th, 18th. You know, they, they're fine. They had a perfectly acceptable start to the season. Yes, the disappointment of throwing away a you know, perfectly good position against Peterborough still rankled, but I think they had beaten they had beaten whole, so they had, you know, it was things were looking okay, and then yeah, we get we get a call, or I remember Ed calling me to say I've been sent this thing on, I think it was Company's House, maybe it was a, a, a website like that, maybe not Company's House that had like Derby County administration or in, in the intention to appoint administrators, and it was flagged up to us, and I remember Ed saying I'll just make a couple of calls, and then about half an hour later, must have been now eight o'clock at night, texting me going something's not right here. Like the calls that I normally make that are answered, they're not being answered and I'm not sure. So I just felt something was not right. And then yeah, bang, half an hour, 45 minutes later, we get, we get the news that Derby County intend to appoint administrators. And then it's a blur because you just go into work mode. So I was at home and 
you're straight back on online and doing a program from your living room. And it was only afterwards you come off, you come off air. And I remember speaking to my, my other half and just thinking this, you know, like, wow, like this is the thinking this is going to be, this is going to start. This is going to be really tough. I think a few months for everyone while we try and come to terms with what had happened. You know, we had an hour and a half of a really poignant radio because we'd had Kieran Maguire, who'd been a godsend to us explaining everything, but we'd had the fans on who were, were understandably upset and, and, and shaking with emotion and anger and, and all the things you associate with something like this. And it was a seismic shock. I don't think anyone particularly slept that that well that night because it was, well, things now have changed. But then the next day at Stoke, it was phenomenal how it seemed to just flick back into gear again. I mentioned this again on Saturday, the final game. You can worry about all the off-field stuff, but the moment you go into match mode, the moment you wake up and you go through your routines, you go and have your breakfast or you go and put your, your lucky socks on, you go and see your mates at the pub, you do all the rituals that you do on a Saturday, you, you kind of get back into the rhythm of it and all the off-field problems are parked for, for a moment. You get to Pride Park and you buy your programme and you have your burger and you see your mates and you sit in Pride Park and you cheer. And then the moment, the moment, the game kicks off, you're involved in that and all the rest of it. And at Stoke, even though Derby had been well on the verge of being deducted 12 points and going into admin, there still felt this resilient atmosphere, this, no, we're not going anywhere. And the fans that day were superb. Brilliant result as well. Derby went 2-1. Great goal from Max Bird. And I think Davis gets a little header, doesn't he? And there was a feeling, I think, after that was, OK, it, it looked bleak at the moment, but this could be the day that we look back and say, right, that that line under the sand, that was the moment it all changed. Clearly, we know now that that wasn't the case because we're still here talking about Derby being unsold. But yeah, those 48 hours will will live with me for a long time. The, the, the finding out, the, the sort of the programme where we were all in shock a little bit and then the, 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 the victory against Stoke was, I think, kind of summed up everything about Derby this season. The, the, the desperation of the news, the, the anger from the fans, but then the resilience and the togetherness of the supporters the day after to show whatever happens now, whatever you throw at us, we're still, we are still Derby and we will fight for this club until the end. And, and Chris, they did. And I want to get on to that in a minute. And I think, you know, when you talk about your shock of administration, I'm obviously 4,000 miles away. We're, we're all distinctly aware of that. And I was incredibly shocked with the fact that they went into administration. But I think the thing that shocked me most was how much money they actually owed to non-footballing creditors, to people like the local council, to people who like renting parking spaces or who did photography service or catering service. And I mean, I, my, my feeling was, I know we talked a little bit, you talked a little bit earlier about the Derby County staff who didn't know whether they're going to have paychecks and were worried about that. And I can understand that worry. I have been furloughed several times with, with the government. So I understand what it's like to, to not have a paycheck coming in. I, I mm. and the fear and not being able to pay bills and things like that. I got that. But I mean, on top of that, you have all these small businesses that Darby's always been a community club, always been something that's been a pillar of this, of the, of the, Dar- of the city of Darby. And they've not paid any bills. It's essentially like, did you even pay the gas bill or the water bill or the electric? Like, I mean, I think that was, that was a shock to me. Was it a shock to you as well? When you saw that list come out and it was like, two or 300 names or of companies and people that were owed money and whatever. I mean, it was like, really, this isn't even, this isn't even the football crediting. This is just stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we as football fans don't necessarily see. Oh, the mm. guy or the guy that cleans the napkins or the table linen or whatever. But then they owed all that money. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, it, it certainly when the list came out, yeah, you couldn't help but be staggered by it and the, and the numbers and the, and the, and the you're right the, the the businesses and the entities that were involved. I know there was a lot of anger that, that that St John Ambulance was was owed money as well and and the morality of all of that and and everything else, which I completely understand. And I think it just showed that what Derby County is to the to the community and the businesses that I think a lot of this was probably done in in good faith. Businesses may well have been aware of Derby's financial problems, but still went ahead and provided a service, maybe knowing at the time we might not see this money for a long time. But we know we, the club means so much to us that we're still going to do it. Derby were very lucky and are very lucky that they have so many, not just fans, but businesses that want to support the only thing I'd say to all of that is, and I, I, I vaguely I have a recollection of putting this ex- exact question to, it may have been Kieran, it may have been someone else about it. And they came back and said, well, what you need to remember is that th- this is kind of how football operates. That a lot of football is done like this. And if you were to knock on the door of any football club at that juncture, they would have lots of bills to pay. And there would be lots of people that are owed money. Having been in the freelance world myself a few years, I know full well, Sandy, what it's like when you invoice and don't hear anything. You invoice and you knock on the door and you know, and you say, now clearly I'm very different to a football club. For me, it was, I need money to live here. For a football club, it's slightly different because obviously the, the, the money involved is slightly higher. But I think the point was made at the time that, yes, clearly it's not great, but this is kind of how football operates. A lot of it is almost done with writing IOUs or writing, right, we'll pay you at this point. So while the debt is high, it didn't necessarily mean that Derby owed every single one of those creditors right now. There was a lot that was staggered or to be paid and all the rest of it. However, that's not to, that's not to defend what happened. The club were clearly, clearly financially in a very, very difficult position. And the moment that, that, you know, tax stops being paid and, and, businesses stop receiving money especially small ones is the moment where you do have to take a step back and question well hang on a minute what is going on here um and 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 how has this situation been allowed to develop as much as it has uh, i think we all know the answer to that that there was lots of chasing of the dream that, that didn't materialize and lots of money that went on players and all the rest of it and manager sackings and all and everything like that but yeah clearly when you, when you see a list like that you you can't help but be blown away by it but i would caveat that slightly by saying that I think a lot of that money was clearly still to be paid, but it wasn't necessarily right. This is who you owe right now. It was just the list of as happens in administration. They have to legally release that release that document. The size of it and the numbers. Yeah, you have to be you have to look and go, wow, how has this happened? But I think a lot of it, certainly the football creditor debt, which was staggered or could be negotiated, I think was was maybe not quite as alarming as, as it needed to be. Well, Chris, I know we've talked about administration now twice in the podcast. We said we weren't going to have this uh, carry on. Mm. I want to talk about matters on the field because Jason was talking about Peterborough and that that really got me thinking because last year when you came on the season review pod, you were telling me this story of Baghorn was stepping up to take the penalty at Pride Park against the South Stand. And you had heard from your, you had heard from the other game on commentary that Marlon Packett scored for Cardiff. And then you said, I remember you telling me this. And you said the enormity of the situation of all of a sudden seeing Waghorn like run up and try to strike the ball, that moment like slowed down because Marlon Packett scored and how big the goal was. And I was just thinking about this in preparation for this. It happened again on Easter Monday, didn't it? And I wanted to get your recollection for that as well, because Reading hadn't been doing any well. They got Paulins. And to be honest, I came on and I said they wouldn't pick up another points because I don't think Paulins is a very good manager. Ah. He's been out the game for like six years. If he was any good, you'd have a job. And I thought Reading were dropping like a stone because that point deduction really, really knocked them. They didn't win for a very, very long time. I think it was like 13 games without a win or something like that. 
And then they go into Easter Monday Derby do and play QPR. And Ravel Morrison came on in the second half, was really changing the game. And you hear all of a sudden Swansea's winning 4 1 at Reading. And you're like, or 4 0, I think it was, or 4 1 at the time. And you're like, in the bag, this is easy. All we've got to do is, yeah. well, if we can get a point or all of a sudden. And then it was very similar because I, I immediately pulled back to our conversation last year and I thought, QPR score. And then that exact same moment or within moments, Reading get a fourth and Derby are down. So I want to hear your story this season from those two goals vice last season. Yes. Well, I mean, this story, sadly for you, Corey, is going to differ slightly because Easter Monday typically was a day that I wasn't with Radio Derby um, and I was with Five Live. However, what I can say is that I was at, I was at Coventry, Coventry Bournemouth. And obviously I, the program that I contributed to, they had reporters everywhere. So there's a reporter at QPR Derby and a reporter at Swansea, at Reading Swansea, at, uh, at Reading. And I did think at the time, I remember going into the game thinking it'd be a shame if Derby relegated today because I'd, I'd, I kind of want to be part of it. I, not, it sounds like I'm joining in a celebration here, but I wanted to be, you know, you, you kind of want to be at that moment. You've, you've been with them throughout the season. You want to have that. That, that, that you want to be part of the day when it happens. Um, and I must admit, at nil-nil at Loftus Road or the, the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium and at 4-1 Swansea, I remember thinking, sitting at the, at the CBS Arena and thinking, great, it's not going to happen today. It's going to go to next week at the very earliest and, and that'll be fine. So happy days, no problem. The problem was, is that listening at the Coventry to the reporter at Reading, and they, I remember them saying, oh, it's 4-1 Swansea, and they, they did the goal, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, they said, let me tell you, this isn't going to finish 4-1. This is the most open game I've seen for a long time. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good. We don't want open. And what happens? 2-4. 3-4, with a few moments to go. And again, the reporter says, oh, Reading, it's all Reading. It's no, there are more goals, and if this doesn't finish, 4-3 to Swansea. And I remember thinking, oh, no. And there was just an inevitability, wasn't there? There has been a goal at Derby, QPR, QPR, Derby. We're going to go to our report. And I thought, this, this, this doesn't sound good. And then, straight, you know, when straight away, the first thing I hear is crowd noise. And I thought, well, that's that. I can hear the home fans. And they say, Derby, Derby are behind. QPR have scored. But no problem yet because, and then I could hear it. And there's been another goal at Reading. And I thought, this is it. So it was very, very strange. And, and I must admit, it was, it, was, it was surreal being in Coventry, listening to Derby's relegation. That was surreal and I wish it wasn't the case however what I would say is that the two guys on air that day Colin Gibson and Ed Dawes I think was almost fitting that they were there two proper fans of the football club they I think they they would have expressed and they did express far more passionately and eloquently than I would have been able to do not that I wouldn't have tried but I wouldn't I don't think I would have got close to the level of emotion that they showed so whilst I regretted not being there, it also meant that Colin and Ed were there and as fans had that moment to, to, to basically share what fans would have been thinking up and down the country throughout the world as, as you demonstrate. So yeah, it's not quite the same level as Waghorn and Pack, but it was certainly, it was certainly similar in the sense of listening to, to another game and thinking, I just know, especially with Swansea going 4-1 up and being told, no. It's not going to end four one. It's going to be way open. I remember thinking, "Oh, I don't want it to be open. I want Reading to be dead and buried." Did I think they'd come back and and draw four four? No, um, but football, eh? That's what it does sometimes. 
Yeah. I mean, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, four one, happy days. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up a point here and, and whatever. And, and Chris, this is again, to this point, I mean, it was in a remarkable amount of, it was a remarkable achievement, even for Darby to be considered that late in the season after having 21 points taken away to even say the word survival, because we saw what happened with Sheffield last season. They got in the minus 12, which was reduced to minus six, I believe. And it's essentially relegated them because they couldn't come ask. You saw, we, I just talked about it, Reading, they got their points deduction and it looked like it killed them in mid-November. It basically looked like they were dead and buried because they were just, you could just see them dropping down the table and dropping down the table. And I think the thing that stood out to me was what Jason mentioned was both times Darby went down to, to negative points, the next game they were able to get back to zero. It didn't, it didn't linger. Three minus three or minus six didn't linger for a month. It was, we're minus three. We play on the Saturday, we're at zero. And that happened both times, which I commend the mentality of the players for that. But I mean, sum it up as we've progressed through the season now, Easter Monday and Derby were not relegated despite having 21 points taken off them. That says one of two things, either this team was way better than what it should have been probably what it had the, the right to be, or that other teams were just way more crap, but I'm going to go with the whole Derby are better than what they should have been talking about the recruitment that we talked about a few minutes ago. I mean, that's an achievement in and of itself that we were talking about a great escape at that late in the season. Massively, Corey, absolutely. And, and yeah, I think that, that there probably is an element of your second point. It, it, it's, not, it's not felt a great championship this year. Uh, it's not been helped by Reading's point deduction. Uh, Barnsley, very strange team and, and have, have made some very strange managerial appointments and didn't look great. Peterborough, they didn't strengthen as, as heavily as fans would want in the summer and it was always likely they'd be down there. And then throwing lots of clubs that are really struggling at the moment. COVID is playing a part by the likes of Bristol City and Cardiff City and Birmingham City and all the rest of it. But take nothing away from Derby because, yeah, 21 points, that's it. That, that, that should be a club dead and buried, especially a club that's been unable to to really strengthen the side in terms of any any signings made with with pure cash i know loan signings all come with with various loan fees and all the rest of it but in terms of actual transfers there hadn't been any of that wayne rooney has has had you know both hands tied behind his back really he's only he's only managed to acquire freebies and loans so to assemble a squad that still with a few games to go was still fighting and at one point i think we all did sort of get wrapped up in they could do this there was a point when they had won two or three games in a row or at least gone on a little unbeaten run and I think there was a I think there were four points behind Reading at one point and Reading had a game in hand and if Reading obviously had lost that then Derby could have been one point behind them but I think Reading did win I can't remember who against but it was one of those sort of pesky games that Reading won and then the gap suddenly went to seven and then it was a bit maybe this is a little bit beyond them but it's credit to Wayne Rooney that he has assembled the squad that he has and I think you have to point to some of his signings and say the only one, and to be fair to him, he has come good recently, was Ravel Morrison for large parts of the season. You felt, has this really worked? Well, are we seeing the best of Ravel? And then he really did thrive. The last few games of the season, he scored that excellent double against Barnsley and then was instrumental. And we thought this is the Morrison that, that Wayne Rooney brought to the club. But all his other freebies, you think, fantastic. I mean, Jaggy Elka, massive, massive player and a huge I mean, miss People thought Derby. he was a joke, Chris. They thought he was a joke at 39 and Stokes just signed him up for another oh. year and he started every game and was captain in the within Absolutely. Two- Absolutely. He, he was phenomenal. He, he and Curtis Davis were superb and it was such a big blow when Jaggy Elka left and, and dare I say it, maybe Derby could have done the unthinkable had he stayed because there were a few goals when he left that you think, no, Jaggy Elka 
in that team and they wouldn't have, have lost the games that or they would have conceded the goals that they would have they did concede. Ravel Morrison, fine. Sam Bulldock, fine, you could argue maybe didn't work. And actually he was one that that um at the end of the season or when he got released, I think Wayne Rooney said, Yeah, it's not worked and we're gonna he, he's gonna go and and that's gonna be that. Um Stearman, model pro, and has certainly not done nothing particularly wrong. Ryan Alsop, now unquestionably the, the first choice goalkeeper and has, has come really good and, and has great quality, not just in front of goal or stopping. Uh, balls in front of goal, but his distribution is is excellent. So the fact that Rooney has managed to do all of this, I think is why fans are quite excited to see what he can do in the summer if he is given scope to improve the squad and given, dare I say it, a little budget to wheel and deal and to sign players. And Wayne Rooney is an attraction, unquestionably. Derby's a massive club in League One. There'll be players wanting to play for them and there'll be players wanting to play under Wayne Rooney. So the whole the whole setup deserves immense credit. And uh, just a word on not just Wayne Rooney or the players or even the coaching staff, but the, the, everyone at, at Moore Farm. And let me tell you, there aren't many. A lot of people left during covid and obviously there were redundancies off the back of that because of administration. There are lots of people that are pulling in the same direction at Derby that you don't often see that aren't heralded from the media team to the ticket office, to the ground staff who had to deal with trying to prepare a pitch with basically most of their tools taken away. And they were doing it for the, for, for the love of the club and they, and they didn't want to complain. They didn't want to, to, to kick off about it. They just got on with it. And the whole place was an epitome of, of of resilience and team spirit. And that's why it got them as far as it did. And Chris, I was going to ask you about Wayne Rooney. I'm going to let Jason ask you that because I'm going to ask you something different. In addition to the to the backroom staff who did an amazing job and all the people that behind the scenes at Derby, how incredible was it for you as a commentator to see what the fans pulled together and what the fans were able to do? I mean, we saw the Rams family fund and how they were able to raise so much money and they raised money for the St. John's ambulance service. There was the March of what 40, 50,000 odd people in the city of Derby. And it really, had felt like for the first time in 18 months, two years, because of COVID had really kind of widened the gap between the club and the fans not able to go. And the club was doing some weird things. It really kind of felt like for the first time in a long time, everybody was singing from the same hymn sheet. And it really showed how powerful and large this fan base is, didn't it? I mean, it was incredible to see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've not seen anything like it. I really haven't. And it, I, I've spent, oh, clearly there are people that have been doing it a lot longer than I have, but in, in I'd say, 15 years of, of doing this sort of job professionally and working within lots of clubs, whether it be Birmingham City right at the start of their, their Premier League tenure and, and going around Europe, which was great for them, whether it be Leicester City and, and their miraculous achievements and this Derby side, I've, I've just not seen a connection like that. And it, 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 I think it's true what they say, you, you don't really know what you have until you don't have it. And I think with Derby, a lot of that was we understood perhaps more so than ever what this club meant to so many people because of all the adversity. You could argue, I think legitimately, whether we would have seen the crowds that we did see had it not been for all the problems. 16,000, we talk, I mean, as Jason said earlier, that that Huddersfield game, there were 16,000 there at Pride Park. Now it was, we were still kind of middle of COVID, I'll get that, or towards the back end of it. So I understand that there was still some hesitancy there. But there was also a bit of apathy thrown in too because of, of the owner and because of everything else. To translate 16,000 a few months later into 30,000 for that March, astonishing. That there, there, there are so many great pictures from that day of, of those fans that turned up. The picture, which is the picture that is taken from the sort of top end of Pride Park and, and, and straight back down towards the, 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 the centre of, of, of town and towards the station. And all you can see are just people 
and flags as far as the eye could see. It was like marching to the arch. It was like a Wembley arch picture. Phenomenal. Absolutely remarkable. And that support never wavered. The players summed it up, I think, best. And Curtis Davis said it a couple of weeks ago. He said, at times, it was almost embarrassing. When we lost 4-1 at the Riverside and we go off to a standing ovation. How many teams go off to a standing ovation when they've lost 4-1? And I remember we were sitting opposite the fans and not one of them had left. Not one of them. It was the day after the Mel Morris-Steve Gibson resolution, which I know played a part, but still, Derby beaten 4-1, and you'd normally expect basically the away stand to be empty, and if it wasn't, maybe a few fans staying to hurl some abuse, but they all stayed, and they all cheered, and they all applauded, and the player said afterwards, that that was a moment, because that's when we realised that there's, there's something more at stake here than just football. It, it, it's the actual club, and that carried on. The Fulham game will stay with me for a long time, not just the South Stand in great voice, but every, the whole stadium alive. And we know the South Stand is more vociferous, but it was the entire stadium singing, either Alay, 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 or all the Derby repertoire. Blackpool, phenomenal, 4,000 fans there, even that, when Derby had been relegated. Just incredible. And, and I don't think any words can really do it justice. And it's going to be the one thing I take away from this season, the overriding memory I will have, is that bond between supporter and the football club and the players will, will I don't think, ever be be beaten. And in this time of adversity has come great support. And it's a credit to every single fan that, that paid the money to go, to support you from afar, to whatever, that they, they stuck behind their football team and gave them such magnificent support when it would have been very easy to to just give up hope and think, no, forget it, this is, this is done. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I was going to ask a couple of uh, questions on, but you, you've... Pretty much just covered them all there, Chris. I think when I look back at the season before, we talk just to mention on Wayne Rooney, and the, the, there are going to be obviously things that stick out this season for me. There are obviously negatives that stick out for me. There are there are some positives, but they they kind of go hand in hand. But I was going to mention the march. I, I was I was in it. I was in the middle of it. Mm. Incredible. Um, yeah. And then, as you say, that that full and Friday night, a, a Good Friday was was an unreal. It was an unreal atmosphere. It was almost as if, I think at that point, the majority of people had accepted Derby's fate and it was just a case of go out with a bang and obviously beating the uh, the, the league champions as it was. <clears throat> um, I mean, what a, what a fantastic, fantastic achievement. But I think the, the last two things that, that will stick in my memory, one of them you just touched on there, is, is Blackpool away. <clears throat> I mean, not just for the 4,000 fans that were at Bloomfield Road, the... 20,000 fans that were on the Gold Coast that weekend. It, it was mm-hmm. it was an incredible, incredible weekend. And I, I do wish that Derby had managed to keep going and not yeah. been relegated up until that weekend because what a weekend. And then, as you say, the fans have been behind them all season. The final game of the season, a dead rubber against Cardiff and 30,000 turn up at Pride Park. I mean, we, I know you and I know we on this podcast have, have gone on about, you know, would Derby have been in the position that they was in last season uh, without fans? And I think we'd argue, no, they probably wouldn't. And I think this season just kind of gives that a bit more evidence that, you know, it, 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 this season, if it had been in COVID times, Derby would have been dead and buried without a prayer, wouldn't they? Let's face it. The the, the fans and, and the fight and from the players have, have all come together and have 30,000 obviously I was there for Cardiff on Saturday and it was it was a strange feeling at full time I was actually I was interested to see what the players reaction would be obviously the players reaction at QPR I saw they all went over to the fans and clapped they knew what was what was happening 
And obviously there was a few players that eventually fell to the floor on Saturday and, and you, you get the scenes that you expect from a relegation. But I mean, Derby had obviously already been relegated three or four weeks, four, three or four weeks previous. And then of course you get the, the lap of honour, which was, you know, absolutely incredible again. And yeah. it, it is a testament to the fans that this season come whatever the the fans have always, have always been there in the numbers pretty much, as you say, other than at the beginning because of COVID um, I mean, just a word on that, and then I want to move on to Wayne Rooney for a, for a final point from me, Chris, for the chat, is that, you know, how important, and I know it's a silly question because we know the answer, but how important have the fans been to, to Derby this season? Has it gone hand in hand without the fans there this year? Do you think Derby would have got anywhere near the points total that they'd have got? I really don't. And 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 the players are the first to say it. Wayne Rooney is, is one of the first to say it. And I know... It, at times like this, you, you kind of fall into cliche, don't you, sometimes? Yeah, they're the 12th man and all the rest of it. And yeah, without the fans, this wouldn't have been possible. But I think in this scenario, the, the evidence is there. Last season, when Derby barely won a game at home, you, you were wondering why. And then you think, well, the crowd plays such an important role, especially at Pride Park. And, and opposition managers often say it. It's difficult to play there because the fans are very close to the pitch. They don't stop supporting and, and they're right behind their team. And when Derby started this season with fans, I know not many, suddenly the, the results at home, there was an upturn. And you thought, well, that must be, the, you know, the pitch is still the same size, the players are still the same, the manager's still the same. What's the difference? Well, it, it's the support that, that Derby get. And I think had the fans not bothered and had the fans been maybe a bit apathetic about it and just a bit, well, OK, we might go for a couple of games and see where we're at then I think, yeah, I don't think Derby get close because I think the players then see, well, OK, we're, no one's really behind us here and we're, we're already way behind the eight ball and we don't seem to be getting much support. So, no, nah, we probably won't give it as much effort as we probably would. Whereas if you see week in, week out that the fans are paying their money and 30,000 are heading to Pride Park and, and away from home, they're taking thousands as well, then you have something to play for. You have something to fight for. You can see tangibly what your performances are doing because the fans come back and cheer you. And for, for the manager, Wayne Rooney, I mean, it's, it's an easy old team talk, isn't it? Almost every week. Look at, look at that lot. Look, look at the support that you have got. They've come to see you. They've come to see you fight and battle. And we, we know that Derby, and, and I think you, you put, you position Derby, which historically has been a, a working class city. And I think there are a lot of clubs like that, that, if you go to your football, you just want to see commitment and effort and desire. And if you see that, then you can forgive the odd mistake. You can forgive the odd error. But if you don't see that fight, passion and desire, then you're, you're going to feel shortchanged. And the players gave that and the fans saw that. And I think therefore, we're, well, we're going to support you right to the death here because we know you've got nothing to do with why Derby are being relegated. So, yeah, absolutely. I think when you, when you look back, and I'm sure when you speak to any players or anything like that, there is going to be a an, an acknowledgement from the players that without the fans, I think Derby probably would have been dead and buried months prior to when they actually were. My, my final question for you, Chris, on the entire discussion uh, is, is two words. Well, three words, actually. Wayne Rooney, discuss. <laughs> well, he's been, I think, remarkable during all of this. And for several reasons, 
the main one that stands out for me from a work perspective is how patient and how honest he has been throughout everything. And there have been so many managers that over the years, I think, or even operating now, would say, don't ask me about anything other than football. Don't care about don't care about it or I don't want to discuss it. It's got nothing to do with me. I can't do anything about it. Don't ask me. But he never once said that. We we understood full well that he was annoyed by it. But he never he never really portrayed that in in his body language. He often gave very honest answers and the fans appreciated that as well. Our job is fairly simple. You ask managers questions because you want you want the manager to speak to the fans. You ask the questions that you think the fans want to know. And if a manager is not giving you those answers, then yeah, it becomes difficult because you start pushing and the manager starts getting a bit agitated and that's that. Whereas Rooney, I think, understood that he was he was speaking to us, but he was really speaking to the fans. So every message he gave off field was based on, look, I'm being completely honest with you. And the fans completely brought into that because they'd had several years of, of not being communicated with. And that really frustrated, which I completely understood. So Rooney got that side of it. And then what he's done to the atmosphere at Moore Farm and what he's done to the belief of that squad. Often he said last season, I think we discussed it last year, he'd come out and say, well, this squad can absolutely survive. Absolutely, no question. And then when Derby did just about, he said, I I did that for my players because they need to believe, I believe in them, they need to believe in themselves. So I think this season he spent a long time instilling this belief in players in the likes of of Liam Thompson and Festi Ebercelli and Erin Cash and the youngsters. You have the ability, Max Bird has been phenomenal this season, he is a winner. He is a, a leader of men. When we asked him what he thought his best trait was, he said, I think I am a good communicator. I know the players that need the arm around the shoulder. I know the players that need the hair dryer from time to time. And I regard that as being a big strength of mine. And if you can get the players playing for you, then that's half the battle done. I think he's also been very good at allowing people that are good at their jobs to get on with their jobs. When we watch him in action in Moore Farm, he's, he leaves a lot of it to Liam Rossinia and Justin Walker. And he'll sort of patrol. It's something that Fergie did really well. Fergie would often do this. He'd, he'd not get involved too much. Every now and again, he'd stop the session and, and suggest something or pull over a player or whatever. But he left the most of it to his coaches. And he trusts Liam Rossini to put on coaching drills and, and, and situations and, and sessions that, that will improve the players. And he's the one that's been able to take the step back. And then above all else, he's just resonated so strongly with the fan base for what he has said. The Everton links, for instance, when he came out and said, no, I'm staying. Everton wanted to be interviewed, but no, I, I, I don't want to be interviewed. I, I, I want to stay here at this club. He loves a challenge and he appreciates that if he says things like that and then leaves, it paints him in an awful picture. So he deserves immense credit for that. And I think finally what I would say with, with Rooney is that I think he knows he's onto a good thing here. I think he knows the potential this club has, the support that it has, and if he can just get things sorted, then he has an opportunity to build something that he will be remembered for for a long time. And if he is the man to rebuild Derby and get them back into the championship, and dare I say it beyond that, based on what he's had to put up with for the last two seasons, then he will be, he'll be a legend at this football club for sticking with it through the tough times and for guiding Derby back into the better times. He is a fighter. We know that his time in Liverpool, his time playing for Everton and Manchester United, he, he just craves victory and it, it, it what pushed him to be the best of the best as a player England's top scorer 
albeit that that's you know the one. Well, I think has that broken? I can't remember now. Has that been broken or is it about to be broken? I think Harry Kane is about to be it. broken. I think it is about Kane to be. Plays like Bosnia or something in sports. That's games. right. Yeah, These I think they, they level maybe. What? Well, yeah, but that's for it. Well, he's still going to be one of England's all-time top scorers. Manchester United's all-time top scorer. So you don't get to that if you don't have that inner belief and desire, and that's rubbing off on Derby. So he's been great from our perspective. I've loved working. Uh, what I say with him, but I love working with him at the club because he's always been open and honest. He's always given brilliant interviews. You've always been interested in what he's had to say and um, he, he's not been dull. So he's been a very good thing. And I, I sincerely hope that he sticks around and sincerely hope that he's the man to bring Derby back into, into brighter times. Jason, I think Chris has eloquently summed up the season for us more than we ever could. Um, and I want to switch gears, Chris, now because we've got a, a last few minutes before we let you go. But I don't know if our listeners are unaware. Chris put a message out earlier this week. He will be leaving BBC Radio Derby uh, in the summer uh, for a massive transfer fee. No, we don't know what the transfer <laughs> closed, uh, but he'll let let you know his plans in 24, 24 to forty eight hours, or imminently, or imminently, probably imminently. Yeah, imminently. Um, but Chris, before we before we go on and, and talk about you for a little bit, because I know Jason and I both have stuff we want to say to you. Top five Derby County moments while you've been covering the club. Oh, wow. Top five. Um, and you can't just say this season and that can't be all five. <laughs> just in the last week, I think it's probably, it's probably taken most of those spots. Just no. Um, well, I, the, the game that will live with me forever and ever and ever is, is un, undoubtedly the Leeds playoff semi-final. I just, I can still vividly remember it, the, the emotion, the, the game itself, the atmosphere, the, the post-match celebrations, just a game like no other. And I, I still, every time the, the highlights appear sporadically on my Twitter feed or on YouTube, I'll, I'll watch it and smile and think, oh, I can, just, I can remember it so well and, and put myself right in that situation. So I, I think that probably has to be... The, the, the top one just for emotion to be honest a lot of the games that Derby played to get into playoffs will, will remain with me I think mainly because you, you you kind of knew that the season defined by these big games and actually how how your summer went or how the next few days went after the final games of the season was, was very much dictated to by what happened so the game to get into the playoffs under Frank Lampard the West Brom game when Derby did kind of creaked a little bit and it was seen as well if we can get into the playoffs then it, it's kind of job done and that game against West Brom, it was 1-1 for a while. And then I think Mason Bennett and, and uh, crops up with a, with a crucial goal. And I think Wilson scores a penalty. And just the relief then around the stadium. And there was a great lap of honour. And there was real hope that something could be done against Leeds. And even under Gary Rowett, that Derby beating Barnsley, I think it was 4-0 or 4-1 at Pride Park. And just the, the wave of relief that, that accompanied that. So the, the big games there, I think, will, will, will always live long uh, in the memory. Um, the, the Birmingham game has to be the Bielik overhead kick, just remarkable for those that were there, given the emotion of the day and just how, how abject Derby were for the first half and then turned it around and Bielik, what a fairy tale, his first game back for however many months and then he does something like that. Truly astonishing. My very first game I'll remember, it was away at Barnsley under Gary Rowett that, um, that Derby win. I think it was 2-0 in the end. I think Vyman and maybe Lawrence get goals. I, I remember that just for how, sort of how nervous I, I, nervous I was and how knew it all felt and all the rest of it um, and and the playoff final I suppose has to be in there that's not a top moment because of what happened but I think covering a football club and covering all the emotion around a playoff final was 
was great to be part of and just really disappointed that, that Derby couldn't get it over the line and, and, and get it done. But there have been so many, Corey and Jason, that, I, that it, it's been, you know, it has been a real pleasure and privilege to do the job that I've done. And, and the fans have made it so worthwhile. And, and Derby certainly not being dull has has made it um, very, very interesting. But there, there are probably many moments that when I leave this, I'll look back and go, actually, I should have mentioned that one. I should have mentioned that one because I'm sure there are many that um, that I have forgotten. But in terms of the top one, no, Le- Leeds playoff semi-final will, will absolutely not be beaten. So, Chris, I want to thank you for the last few years for allowing me to fulfill a childhood dream of being able to speak to the BBC. It was something that I've always mm. grown up, I've always wanted to do, and you've allowed me to to do that. You've been a, a great friend to me and to Jason, to this podcast. You've always been so generous with your time and your invitations to continue to join you. So hopefully we didn't do anything too bad because <laughs> we kept getting asked back. So, but um, you know, I know for me, Chris, we've never met personally because unfortunately our relationship has kind of been over the zoom with the COVID, but I hope obviously when I'm in England in the autumn that, that we can link up and, and have a drink together and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But I want to thank you so much for your friendship, your kindness, um, and everything that you've provided for us on the podcast and just generally for the Derby County fan base, because I know it's it's been a difficult period of time. You've you've come at some interesting times. You've covered Leicester's Champions League run and you've mm. administration. You've kind of covered the gamut of it. You've always been a, a steady voice, someone who works extremely hard at what you do. And I know whatever you're going to do, you're going to go off and do an amazing job at it. You're going to do some really great things. And I'm going to be excited. And I know Jason is as well to watch you from afar as you as you shoot up the ladder here and you do some, some amazing things in the future. So I hope we can keep in contact. Well, I don't hope we can keep in contact. We are going to keep in contact. Um, yeah. And, um, and it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, Chris, to, to work with you over the past couple of years, Jason. Yeah, I absolutely echo all of that. It's uh, <clears throat> all the time that you've given to us on this podcast has been, has been massively appreciated. Obviously the chats that we've had, in your line of work on Radio Derby on sports scene has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, for me personally, I don't know how much Corey does listen. Obviously, I go to every home game. I, I get to as many away games as I can. But through Monday to Friday on BBC Radio Sports Scene with yourself and Ed and, and everybody else, you're you're the voice I listen to when I'm driving up and down the motorways for work on on the podcasts and and obviously the the sport commentaries and and all your summarising that you do. Um, I mean, obviously, there's been a few on Radio Derby. I've I've heard a few voices, but I know yours. I've I've always said, and funnily enough, I know we weren't going to say this, me and Corey, but I know me and Corey actually had a chat the other day about this, and and I said that I I had this sneaking suspicion that you were were I don't hmm. I didn't know if it was going to be this summer, but I I just know that I just knew that you were going to go on to bigger and brighter things than than Radio Derby and and move on to a national thing. So. I just want to say a big thank you for your input that you've had with us. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you. And uh, I, I thank you very much for your time. Guys, the, the, thank you for those words. The pleasure, honestly, has been all mine. It really has. It, it, it's been tremendous fun. And, and, and the whole point of doing what we do is is for uh, the people that listen. And, and without it, then it would be completely pointless. And it, it has been a, a real honour and, and, and appearing on your programmes I've loved and, and, and vice versa. It works both ways, as you said. You've been brilliant with us from your time and, 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 and always been available to chat. And um, I really appreciate you appearing on, on the programme as well. And, um, and thank you for your words. I, I will genuinely miss it terribly. I really will. It, it's, it's a big family and it's a club that I've thoroughly enjoyed covering. And it, I, I, I leave a Derby County fan. There's no doubt about that. You, you can't experience everything that uh, can be experienced with Derby and, and not have some kind of fond attachment to to the club but um but thank you your 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 words are are 
are very very kind and i've been very just blown away and overwhelmed really by the the messages i've received on on social media in in, in particular um it's been it's been heartwarming and um i appreciate every single one of them and uh, I, I appreciate you guys and uh, again thank you for for the invite and you're right we, we will absolutely keep in touch and um I'm, I'm sure we'll be we'll be speaking very regularly moving forward no problem at all. Come back next season for our season review podcast. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it. Yeah. Your, your name's already in the diary. <laughs> the, the, the promotion season. Yeah, count me in for that. It'd be nice to talk Fingers about positive crossed. things. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Cheers, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Before we move on to our next segment, we are proud to announce that we are going to be partnering with two amazing organizations this year. First is going to be Flat Back Four, and the second is Six Yards Out. Flat Back Four provide a wide range of club um, memorabilia with the kind of foosball four guys um, on it as well. Amazing clothing range. They've got some awesome Derby stuff. So go and check them out. And we'll be doing some competition giveaways um, and various different bits and bobs throughout the season. So stay tuned for that. And our second partnership is going to be with the six yard out folks. They do some amazing different kind of bespoke gifts, all kind of things, Derby County. They've got England mugs, Derby County mugs and various different kits, and you can get them customized and have old players on them. Um, some really amazing things. You can use Rams review, as a, as a coupon code there as well and get 10% off really proud to be partnering with two amazing retail retail partners so be on the lookout for those um, and check them out if you haven't already um, again that's that's flatback four and six yards out thanks guys enjoy the next segment Corey I'd like to end on a positive note after what season we've had and a positive note to end on is of course we cover all things Derby County on this podcast the best that we can and why not end with some Pretty, pretty much quite a bit of success, I would say, after what a season's been from, from the male, male side of things. We've got a very exciting guest to talk all things Derby County ladies or women or whatever they're called these days. I know, we, I know the name changes every time I look. So uh, I'll, I'll, let, uh, I'll let our guest confirm that for us. But young player of the year for the, for the women's side, Amy Sims. Amy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. And Corey, as we say, we, we, we speak, we do speak about the men's team a lot, but we, we, know... we have to, because there's so much going on all the time. Wow. You can never have five minutes to yourself, but you're right, Jason, a Derby County team that didn't really suck on the pitch this year and have all these off season turmoil things was the UE Rams. So Amy, first of all, congratulations on winning Derby County women's young player of the year. Tremendous honor. How are you feeling about being recognized for that? Yeah, it was really nice. Um, a surprise as well. No one knew who had won. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of topped off a really good season for us. And just getting recognised by your players, your staff, the board members after what's been a pretty tough year was just really nice to see. And, you know, it was a tough year for the club generally, and, and we want to get your thoughts on that as well. But the URMs, I believe, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not mistaken, but they finished second in the division, correct? Yeah. So does that mean does that mean promotion to the to the to the next level? Because I know we had Hannah on here during lockdown, and she was talking about how the women's game was was growing, and and, and Darby was trying to to build up this thing. So my assumption is 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 that a promotion place for you guys? Um, unfortunately, not in our league. It's only the um, top of the, the league that goes into a playoff game to get promoted. Um, so unfortunately, we didn't get the promotion which we wanted this year, um, which. When we look at it, though, it was, you know, the highest points finish we've ever got and joint highest place we've ever finished. But, you know, as players, we're all still there. Like, you know, we wanted the top spot and we wanted the promotion. But no, when you look at it, it's been a really good season for us. But has it has it focused everybody to to sit there and go, you know what, next season, let's go and do one better and get into those playoff positions and, 
and give ourselves a chance to, to get uh, to the next level. And, and how's, how's the kind of churn of players coming over? Are you guys going to return most of the same squad for next season? Yeah, definitely. You look at it, you always want to do better um, than the season before. And we've got such a talented squad that, like you say, if we keep half the team that we've got now, it would definitely be achievable. Um, we've had two members retire, but apart from that, you'd hope that the majority would be staying and would want to commit because I think, like you say, it's been a really good season and everyone's enjoyed it. So, yeah, I'd hope so. And then push on for that top spot. Yeah, I've kept quite a. I mean, there's been quite a bit more expo. I suppose, yeah, exposure. I suppose with everything kind of going on with you know Derby County as as a, as a whole, there's there's been a lot more fan focus on on all assets on all facets. I think of of the season, and I, I've seen a lot more tweets. I've seen a lot more social media about about the ladies' team. And I mean, I don't think you had necessarily such a bad season last year either. But I know that it was it was Wolves that that pitched you to first place this season. But I know up until was it, it was only really a couple of weeks ago where I wouldn't want to, I don't want to say the wheels fought, fell off because that doesn't that doesn't sound quite right. But I know you you got you really did give it a good go right till the end, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. And it was kind of going into Christmas. We we're in a really good place, um, and then kind of we lost against Wolves first um, league game back so I think that kind of was a, a big hit for us but yeah we've, we've given it a really good go and you know probably some of the longest winning streaks we've had um, as a club so yeah we, we did give it everything just unfortunately fell short. In, in terms of uh, you know some of our listeners won't know too much about, about the women's team uh, if you could just give us a little bit of a breakdown obviously you know the, the league as you say you finish second the only top spot gets into a into the into the playoff places. Obviously, I'm sure most people will know when they talk about women's football, they'll think of the women's super league and, and obviously the, the second division. But I know Derby obviously aren't quite at that level. But what what sort of le- you know what level is it that uh, the the women's team's actually at and and aspiring to get to? I suppose. Yeah. So the aim's always been uh, the championship, which is just the one below the WSL. Um, and I think the men's team have been quite vocal in them wanting to help us to get there. Um, so that's obviously the aim. Um, and a lot of championship clubs are semi-professional now. Um, and some like the likes of Liverpool are fully professional who won the league this year. Um, so at the minute, we're obviously um, just training twice a week. A lot of the girls have other jobs um, because unfortunately it's not um, a full-time job for us. Um so yeah, training twice a week, then a game on a weekend. Um, so we're still quite not at that level of semi-professional or professional level yet, um, to the point of getting paid in contracts. Um, but that is definitely the aim and where the club wants us to get to. And I think definitely where all the girls want to get to as well. And, and Amy, I want to talk about the aspirations and, and what the future holds for the women's team. But we have to talk about this season in the context of the football club. Obviously, back in September, Derby County Football Club went into administration. Um, what was it like from your perspective on the women's team for that for that to go on? I mean, we, we've heard a lot from some of the people that we've spoken to. And we've heard a lot on the radio shows that a lot of the staff hadn't been told, you know, the, the club staff about the administration. They were fearful of, is my paycheck stop next week? Am I going to have a job? What was it like for you on, on, on the women's side of the house when the administration came down? Did 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 things change? Did budgets get cut? Did different things affect? Or was it kind of just business as normal and just carry on as you carry on? And that's just another distraction. 
in the background. Um, there was a bit of a weird one, really, for us guys, because it was more the uncertainty. Um, and then we kind of got spoke to by our board members. Um, and we're kind of, we've always been, had the men's side backing us, but we've also always had our own sponsors too. Um, so kind of Duncan, our chairman, and he was kind of like, right, we're going to try and get more sponsors on board. And like the Punjabi Rams, they've been absolutely amazing for us um, in sponsoring us this season. Um, but yeah, it was more uncertainty and then not too much of our budget kind of changed until towards the end, um, until the end of the season um, where our budgets kind of changed and had to shift a bit, which fair play to all the girls. They were like, look, we want to play. You know, people were given the decision, like, obviously this is happening. If you're not happy with it, um, you can kind of come and speak to us, but all the girls were happy to play. And, you know, at the end of the day, we just wanted to help as much as we could to, you know, promote Derby. Like, it was so inspiring seeing all the men's team, you know, what they were doing on the pitch was diverting so much of the chaos that was happening off the pitch. And we kind of wanted to do the same with the distraction of that as well. Um, but, yeah, not not too probably much as affected as the men's team in terms of players and everything, because like I say, it's not our full-time job. Um, but towards the end, the budget changed a little bit, but it was just more the uncertainty. And obviously, like you say, our vision was to get into the championship and whether you have to have a status and a bid to get into the championship as well as winning the league. So whether that would have changed, obviously, dependent on the situation at Derby as well, probably more kind of towards that route as well. It's a question that obviously we have to ask you a little bit later about the, about the men's situation because I know you obviously follow all all areas of Derby County, so we will have to get your opinion on that a little bit later. But I do want to keep it as focused to the to the women's side of the game as, as we can for this chat. Um, so obviously coming off the back of I think it I th- was it second last season as well that you finished in the division or a couple um, of seasons yeah, ago. It was. It was joint second. You joint know, second. Uh, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take joint second. We'll take joint second. In in your opinion, I'm going to obviously we have to ask the odd questions. In in your opinion, um, I know obviously was it AFC filed was up there with you challenging for the top as well as as Wolves. What's it going to take, Amy, for for the women's team to to go that one step further and to and you know and to finish it? Because as we, as we've just discussed, I know it wasn't a million miles away uh, this season. Is there, is there anything that you can pinpoint at all that you think? Yeah, that that's what's needed. Uh, is it? You know, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know every single player for the women's team. Is it just a case that you guys haven't been together for long enough, or is there is there something else about it? What's what's the, how, how do you think Derby County women take that next step? Well, I think it's probably a bit of a mixture of everything. Um, I'd say up until Christmas, we were very consistent. And then kind of after Christmas, the consistency lacked a little bit. Um, so I guess it's kind of a mixture of keeping the Saints, most of the members of the team, but also adding in areas of quality that we can feel, you know, would give us that edge and, and give us that boost. Like I say, one of the players that is, is retiring, she scored our most goals. So, you know, it's investing in players that are going to gonna get you the goals. And, you know, we've got a, a lot of leaders within our group as well. And I think we've really gelled towards the end of the season too. So we've brought in a few few new players in January. So I think, I think if we can keep the majority of the team, like you say, we did probably gel towards the end. So 
to hopefully keeping that consistency, which you'd hope you'd get if you keep the majority of your team. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I, I, a couple more questions, uh, certainly before we move on to men's things from me. Um, yes. a- Amy Sims, the player, you know, obviously for, for people who are listening out there, as we say, you won the Young Player of the Year award. Tell us all about how you play, what, what's your style and uh, you know, how your season's gone. Obviously can't have gone too bad if you've, if you've won one of the awards. Yeah, um, so I play right back, so I'm quite a, an attacking-minded um, fullback, but I also like my 1v1 battles um, too in defence. I think that's why the modern-day fullback suits me quite well, because I can join in the attack and in Jason, the I mean, not to cut you off, but I've never seen anyone have a bigger beaming smile <laughs> talking about defending and tackling. I can tell that's your bread and butter, because your face just lit up there. You're like crossing stuff. I want to get stuck in, I want to get a tackle in, and that's amazing. Sorry. It's all right. That's all right. Um, but yeah, personally for me, I think this is the season that I've scored the most goals that I've ever scored within a season. Um, and just on a personal note, um, vice captain this year, um, obviously Wardy captain, she's an amazing, but unfortunately had a little bit of an injury this season. So even getting to captain the girls this season on a personal note for me was amazing. Cause I've played for Derby since I was under 11. Um, but yeah, just just an attacking fullback really. Um, again, said likes defending. But um, I've just had the good players around me this year as well that like to get in the box. So they've made it easy for me putting the crosses in. Um, but yeah, as a team, like I say, we've done amazingly well. And getting to play at the City Ground Empire Park this year um, has been an, like another amazing achievement that. Um, obviously promoting women's football massively, like get, getting younger girls down to Pride Park, not only to watch the men's games, but, you know, they're getting to see us play there as well. Um, and it's obviously all about representation. And, you know, for me, when I was younger, I'd obviously go to watch the men's game, but never got to watch a, a women's game at Pride Park. So just little stuff like that has made the season really special. To be honest with you, that that was going to be one of my one of my last questions um, before I pass it back over to Corey. Obviously, the, the, all about the exposure of the women's game. Uh, obviously, I, I know that you've played at uh, at the Pride Park a couple of times, and uh, if I'm right in thinking, most home games are at Michelover Sports uh, mm-hmm. this season. You know, and I know from reading on social media, there's been some pretty pretty decent attendances for for women's games obviously you say there you've been obviously been part of the derby setup for some time have you seen the the trans the change in obviously the fans come in and, and again that as we've just mentioned that whole kind of like 18 months to two years that have the fans have kind of galvanized again behind everything and this time they're, they're putting their interests into everything have you seen it have you noticed it from from obviously from off the pitch that you know there's more of the men's team fans that are getting involved with derby county as a whole and obviously that includes the women team as well yeah, massively. I mean, obviously the attendances at like the City Round and Pride Park were massive, but also at Michelover, we've had some of our biggest attendances. And I think our biggest attendance was even a night match. So to get people down, um, it's been amazing. You start kind of recognising people's faces. So you do start building up kind of a fan base of your own. Um, but yeah, it's, like, I mean, it's grown massively. I mean, you get young girls that come down now, um, that can see themselves having a career within football. Whereas I think that didn't used to be kind of talked about or the case, but like they have female role models now as footballers as well. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's just really nice. And we've kind of done 
club partnerships this year where we've got you know, girls teams coming down and they get to come at, at the end and have photos and autographs and they make us all feel famous so <laughs> that's always a bonus too but yeah it's so nice to see them like looking up to us and getting getting down to watch their you know local team and yeah you get like the men's fans too coming down and it's just nice as well it, it creates a nice family atmosphere and Amy obviously I'm I'm a little bit more detached from you guys because I'm over here in, in the states um, and women's football has been a big thing here for a long time I don't need to talk about the success of, of the U.S. women's national team and we've had several iterations of leagues and different things like that and the women's team here the Washington Spirit recently won the thing but you know you just talked about there and that again it's like you read my notes you segued into my next point very nicely talking about role models um, you know we've seen now the growth especially with within England of, of the Women's Super League of the women's team doing so well at the World Cups and things like that, getting into the to the semifinals and everything like that. How serious do you take your your um, your role as a role model um, for for the younger generation? Because, like you said, these these now there's a group of girls who are growing up and boys that are growing up that have role models that that look like them that that do the same things that they want to do. And you know, like you said, you know, maybe when you were a kid there wasn't the same interest or, or things like that. You know. How serious is it for you as a role model to continue to grow this game? Oh, yeah, massively. And I think, you know, when we get invited to like awards nights and stuff, it's always nice for me personally because I can relate to all the academy players as well. So I can always say like I was sat where you guys were. So to have a role, to be a role model for them, like it's so important um, and they can kind of see the route that they can go to. Um, whereas like you say before, there's probably when you asked, younger boys and girls oh who's your role model it would have been the male players um so yeah it's hugely important for us to promote the women's games obviously you're still going to have the major role models in the WSL and the championship but for younger girls coming to watch and it might be their first game you know you are their role model to them and so to be able to promote that is yeah it's massive for the game and Amy, I know, you know, just to switch gears slightly from that, because it's a tremendous thing what you're doing to, to, to be able to not only to play um, at a relatively decent level, because I'm, 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 I'm garbage. That's why I do a podcast. J- Jason will attest to this. That's why we do podcasting. Um, but, you know, you're playing well. You're a vice captain. You're scoring goals. You're sticking in tackles, which is everything uh, really, really well done. You know, what are um, what are Amy Sims's career goals in, in football? I mean, does Obviously, I would assume that you want to have the three lines over your, over your heart. I'm assuming that that you want to play at that level. What's what's Amy Amy Sims want to do in football in the next five to ten years? What's it look like for for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, the aim and the dream would always be getting to play football full time. And um, you know, I love football, and that's that would be the dream job, really, for for most people. Um, but personally, like to get. Derby promoted into the championship and start those steps and start building that legacy for Derby because it is such a big club and it does deserve to be um, in the championship. So to to get them to that level, you know, the highest position you'd ever be in a league for Derby and create history with Derby, you know, that would be the dream for me. So yeah, playing in the championship for Derby and then keep pushing them on further. <laughs> Why not? And, and you're going to obviously achieve this next season and we're going to be there when, when you in the promotion, obviously we're going to be there and have live coverage of that. Um, one other question I want to talk Amy about bigger, bigger club things. 
the preferred bidder for Derby County was named by the joint administration a while ago. We're not, we all know who it is and, and, and whatever, but it was very interesting because the conversation, you know, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? Right. All these things that came out on Twitter and I'm sure you've seen them all this Twitter conversations, but one that really stuck out to me was somebody said, well, what about the investments in the women's team? And normally I think maybe, maybe five, 10, 15 years ago, I don't think you'd see anything like that, but that's obviously on the radar. How, um, and not to get into specifics or anything like that, but when you have somebody that comes in that says, we want to invest in the women's game at this football club. I mean, that's obviously got to give you a lift. How does that make you feel? And the, the second part to that is what's needed to get Darby to take that next step, to, to, to make them a secure championship club on, on the women's side. And yeah, it's massive. You know, when, when I was reading through the Twitter and someone asked that, I was like, it's so nice to see that, they're asking first about the women's side. Um, but yeah, I mean, investment is is massive um, within the women's game. I think you look at the top, top teams, the women's teams within the country, they've got the backing of the men's team. Um, so, I mean, it's always massive. And just, it's not necessarily the big things. It's just little things such as this year, um, we've struggled even putting on coaches sometimes and minibuses to get to away games. So something such as having our own coach um, to get to away games, um, just just things like that w- that would have a massive impact on the girls, having then having to have some of us driving to the games, taking others to the games. Um, yeah, just things like that that would make a huge difference on the pitch uh, would be amazing. And, yeah, to have someone sit down and talk to us about that all as well. I think that's that's the th- that, that was going to be actually one of the questions I was going to ask earlier. You know, you, you look at the 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 elite in women's football, Arsenal, Chelsea, obviously Manchester City are starting to, to make move, make moves as you would expect with the amount, you know, with the success of the men's team. And then when you say there, you know, Derby have never really been away from this level from as, as a woman's women's team's quite, quite surprising. And I, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but when you do look at some of the other sides who are in the, in the WSL, they're, not their men's team aren't necessarily known for being at the you know the elite of the men's game, and so as to just to tie this all up, it, it does sound like that there's a lot more um, interest and a lot more investment coming. And like you say, you, the women's team as, as their own are, are able to get hold of you know sponsorships and and things like that. Do you see? Obviously, we know that obviously performance on the pitch get to that championship level, and I'm sure those opportunities start to start to open up but do you see this as a you know a real positive to be a, as part of Derby women's at the moment you know is, is it something that you can see a, a really really bright future for over the next couple of years? Yeah definitely I mean if I look back to my first you know senior season there wasn't much connection with the men's team and then you look at it now you know we're getting to train at Moore Farm um, you know we're getting to go to the awards evening with the men's team you know just little stuff like that that makes such a huge difference. Getting to use the gym, um, just little things that are probably what has helped us to progress into the place that we are now in the league. And you can see it through, obviously, Midlover where we play now. We're a stakeholder within that ground. I don't think many um, teams within our league could say that they're a stakeholder in, in their own ground. Um, and they turned it into a 4G pitch this year. So, you know, that's all all been a real positive um, for us. And like you say, you look at some of the big teams and it's definitely where we should be. And I think the men's sides will massively help us to get there. 
Final thing, f- final 90 seconds, if, if you can sum this up in 90 seconds, because me and Corey have been at it for two years and I don't think we've got a, a definitive answer. But in 90 seconds, Amy, we have to ask you, of course, about, about the men's side of things. Um, I mean, I, kn- I know you do follow. Um, and I mean, it, just in your own words, what a strange, strange whirlwind of a, of a season with up and down emotions it's been. From you, obviously being part of the of the women's side, and, and obviously having that connection with Derby County and, and playing under the badge of Derby County, but then you know yourself as a footballing fan, as a person, and you know watching the men's side as well. What what is it that you can you can sum up from uh, from this season that ultimately ended obviously in disappointment? Like you say, it's been so many ups and downs, lots of hope. Um, but for me, you know, I I used to have a season ticket when I was younger, and then when I started playing. Unfortunately, had to give it up. But this year, I've probably been to more men's games than I have been in the previous years. And that atmosphere and the passion, it's just been ridiculous. You know, the fans have have been incredible. Um, the players have, have given their all on the pitch. I don't think you could have asked any more off the players. I mean, Rooney, I think <laughs> he's a legend now in Derby um, for anyone, if you ask. Um, but yeah, a lot of ups and downs. Um, but... I think it's brought the club closer to the fans. It's definitely the closest I've ever felt with the club, the players, um, the fans. So, yeah, in a in a year that's been really awful for the club, it's actually also been positive in some ways in the fact that it's brought people a lot closer. I mean, like you say, just just towards the end, not quite getting the business done on the pitch. Um but, I mean, when you look at it, they did so well to even get to that point. Um, but, yeah, crazy season, um, but a lot of passion, I think. So so what we're saying is, obviously, it's got to be double promotion next season. Oh, yeah. it, it has to be, doesn't it? Definitely, yes. Obviously, I want to say thank you for joining us to let us know all about the women's team. Best of luck for next season, and fingers crossed we'll catch up with you next year. No, thanks for having me, guys. Cheers, Amy. And that is it, the end of another season following Derby County. I just want to take this time out for myself and Corey to thank everybody who's contributed to the podcast this season. Every podcast that we've been on, radio station, everything, it's been an absolute pleasure, even though obviously things haven't gone the way that all us Derby County fans wanted it to go. Hopefully next season we'll come back, we'll still have a team and we can give League One a real good push. Enjoy your summer, guys. I've got a feeling it's going to be a busy one. Fingers crossed. We'll be there to cover it all. We'll see you next time. Up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. On Facebook, Rams Review Podcast, or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.